Welcome to N20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. Wearing slippers and an oversized t-shirt, Jessica walks through her house looking out each of the windows, one after the next. Next door, Camila waters the pots of tomatoes resting against her house. Nothing new there. Camila is in her 70s or 80s and may not even have a computer. Jessica pulls the curtains on the front window back and scans the street. The Rodriguez cars are gone. It seems like both husband and wife are working again. Their five kids don't go to school so what do they do in the house all day? At least one or two of them were always outside, riding their bikes, dribbling a ball, or just sitting on the curb with kids from the neighborhood. Through the corner window, Jessica can see the side porch of the house next to hers. The owner used to always come and go. Sure he doesn't have a family but she always figured he worked a lot. Who's she to judge when she lives alone in her house? She used to have the feeling that he was gone most of the time. But even though she hasn't seen him for weeks, his truck remains in the same spot. She can't explain how, but she knows he's in there and it creeps her out. What sort of madness goes on inside? His is one of many houses that give off a sinister aura. She can't explain how she senses it but the feeling is undeniable. Certainly, if she never sees anyone coming or going, if the curtains are closed, and if they don't set their garbage out, chances are it's one of the houses that make her skin crawl. This neighborhood was never creepy before. It's famous for being the country's first neighborhood gentrified by wealthy Latinos. A giant cousin's opened down the road, replacing a Walmart. The dance hall where Ava got her start is 10 blocks from here. So this is a well-to-do neighborhood, but will it ever return to normal? When she saw the media attack, it was awful. It held her paralyzed staring at her TV. She'll have nightmares for the rest of her life. Thank God for Pexin. Jessica takes one with her first cup of coffee. She has five bottles of the pills because friends and family keep giving them to her. Before Pexin came out she was depressed, to be sure. Would she have broken off ties, dropped out of school, or committed suicide? No one knows, but Jessica likes to think she'd have been one of the strong ones who can hold it together. She may have drank more or found some other medication, but in the hours after she saw the attack, she thought, that was horrible. But what matters is the physical world right in front of me. On the other hand, some people who claimed they could continue unaffected started talking about a feedback loop. The memory grew stronger until they couldn't think of anything else. Pexin doesn't take the memory away, but it remains a horrific memory and nothing more. Whatever hormonal cascade the attack is supposed to trigger falls flat, a dud. She installed ad-blocking software on all her devices. It doesn't stop the ads from playing like she thought it would, but it silences the volume and covers the ad with a blue box until it's over. 
It even works on the broadcast TV she uses to watch local news. Her cat, Cindy, follows her, staring up at her until Jessica grabs a food pouch from the pantry, puts the contents in a metal dish, and sets it next to the water bowl. She thought things would get back to normal, but sometimes at night, a figure runs from a car, through a yard. That may not seem all that weird until you see it happen regularly. Homeless were bold before, but yesterday, a man pushed a grocery cart right down the middle of her street as though he owned the neighborhood. He never stopped looking all around with a huge smile. A group of dogs of all different breeds run together through yards and down the street. Sometimes a kid walks past who wears a firefighter's helmet and jacket that has soot marks on it. Jessica can't tell if the kid is a boy or girl, but they must be preteen. Whose kid are they and why isn't anyone trying to help them? Jessica used to walk to the store or bar, but now whenever she wants to go anywhere she calls a car. It's not that she's worried for her safety, or maybe it is. Also, the corner bodega and cousins are closed. A lot of places are closed right now. Now 35, her life has taken on different iterations. She tried to be a singer after high school. That's how she knows Ava personally, Ava from before Ava became an international star. Jessica sold pot for a while. That made good money, but it was messing with her family life. Opening a women's boutique in the Grove was like trying to care for a child with a fatal illness. She was engaged for a while, but then her fiancé moved to Europe. She scrambles eggs and heats a tortilla. With a plate in hand, she lifts some bags of laundry off the dining table and sits. She says a little loudly, check my school website. A wall-mounted screen turns on showing her school website, which includes a message, all classes suspended. Will she ever get her business degree? If she does, will it matter anymore? An AI woman's voice says, you have a message. Chewing, she says, read the message. It says, from mommy. Hun, Uncle Ernie has groceries for you. Get them soon. Smiley face. There is a link to Valley Storage. Jessica showers, dresses, and calls a car. When the white sedan pulls up out front she hustles to it as the car door nearest to her opens. When she sits inside, she says, take me to the Valley Storage by the 405. The AI woman's voice says, there are two Valley Storage near the 405. Jessica says, the nearest one. She watches the houses go by. California isn't green like it used to be. The states that sold California water in the past are holding on to their water now. Car, take local roads only. Updating your route. Boarded windows and graffiti plague at least half the stores. In front of a charge station, broken window glass and metal shelves lie on the asphalt. People, most looking homeless, form a long line to a Pexan self-serve box on the sidewalk. Homelessness has been a problem all her life. Deaths due to overdoses, shootings, and exposure are so common, society is numb to them. Citizens feel that there's no solution to the daily tallies of deaths. That was before the media attack. Now she sees people lost on the streets who should be in homes, raising families, and gossiping with coworkers. One man running down the alley, wears designer jeans. Two children in school uniforms lead a woman along who weeps. 
These are just the people out in the open. She takes out her foldable and searches for online business degrees. After a few minutes, she realizes the car is stopped. On a four-lane street, four cars ahead remain stopped even though there's nothing in front of them. She says, car, turn around and find another way. Her goggle AI says, the car can't turn around. There are cars behind it. Two cars wait behind her. Goggle, end this ride. I'm getting out. She jumps out of the car and walks around the block. On the next street she says, Goggle, I need a ride to my original destination. Two women dressed well, pick through garbage. In a few minutes, a blue commuter van pulls up and opens a door for Jessica. Uncle Ernie walks toward her as a long chain pulls the gate between them to the side. He gives her a big grin. How are you wonder child? Jessica kicks the ground. Fine. They walk up a road in front of a long building lined with steel garage doors. Uncle Ernie spouts off. The banks were on their way out anyway. They only employ 20% of the numbers they used to. Even the right has to admit, this is going to cut out a shitload of bureaucracy. Sure, it'll close a lot of tax loopholes too, but you can't have everything your way. Jessica nods. No, yes, it's about time. Did you hear about promoting crypto voting? Ernie regards her respectfully. Really? He bangs his fist on each locker door they pass. Jessica says, why do you keep doing that? Ernie says, I've always had problems with people sleeping in the lockers they rent but lately it's gotten real bad. I could get closed down if health and safety find out, but these people sneak into their lockers at all hours. Jessica says, oh. Ernie says, we aren't talking about ordinary homeless people. One guy was a city planner. He takes Pexin, but he got hooked on crushies. The homeless before, a lot of them are crazy but predictable. They're resigned. The new homeless scare me. That city planner films me. What's he going to do with that? Jessica says, that's scary. But uncle, you're looking at it all wrong. Do you know that the fastest growing, highest earning commodities are all climate related? Ernie frowns. What's your point? Jessica says lightly, climate change is always described as a problem but it's made the market what it is today. There are no problems, just opportunities to make a lot of money. Ernie says, but this is a problem, these people are breaking the law on my property, and it doesn't earn me any extra money. Jessica moves her arms more. We're talking about an untapped market. These are customers who are choosing a shelter without water or electricity. These people have a product they want you to sell them. They can't afford to rent an apartment, right? But they do have some money and they want to buy shelter for the night. These are customers who know what product they want. Ernie has stopped banging on the doors. I guess. What about bathrooms? What about kitchens? Jessica says, you already have customers who don't want to rent bathrooms and kitchens. Let me talk to Ruben. Ernie smiles proudly. Governor Benitez, you mean? Two weeks later, Jessica takes over management of the downtown Valley storage contained in a 10-story building.
she updates the signage. A poster in the window says, rent by the hour, a temperature-regulated place to rest. Most of the lockers are 4 by 6 by 8 feet. Each locker has one 15-amp outlet and overhead light. Customers pay up front. When the time is up the locker door opens and guards will help the occupant leave if necessary. Paying customers have access to a 10-stall, 10-sink bathroom on the first floor. The faucets on the sink are designed to shut off after a few seconds. Any items found in the rest lockers after the time has expired are taken to a loading bay in the alley where the renter can retrieve them for a week and then those items will be thrown out. Anyone who wants to can also rummage through the items. Facilities like this begin opening up across the West Coast and then across the nation. The Benitez family establish rest lockers in as many locations as possible before copycats start opening similar facilities. Luckily, the public is slow to spot a new disruptive, top earner. Most Americans have no idea rest lockers exist until a brownout in the middle of summer kills 33 apartment renters in a low-income neighborhood. In the same neighborhood, 78 people in a rest locker facility sleep comfortably. Backup batteries keep the temperature in the unit 72 degrees, brownout or no brownout. The story catches public interest. Jessica travels a lot, living temporarily in locations where she lobbies to change rental laws and sets up new rest lockers. When her ex-fiancé calls her number, a man answers. Hello? Her ex says, oh, is this the right number? I'm trying to reach Jessica. She's in the middle of something. Want me to take a message? That's okay. I'll. Her ex ends the call. On his TV, an interviewer asks Jessica questions. Thank you for listening. My landing page is solomeshan.com. There you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes a timeline and illustrations.